In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our text is the section of Philippians read to you earlier. Paul was, Paul was most likely writing under house arrest in Rome, awaiting trial before Caesar. The church that he was writing to was over 800 miles away in the city of Philippi. He and that church had a long history together. He loved them and they loved him. They had just sent Paul some money so that he could rent the house in which he was staying rather than being cooped up in a rat-infested Roman jail while awaiting trial. Paul was so grateful to them, their gift brought him joy. Another thing that brought him joy was introducing his guards to the person and work of Jesus Christ. See, over the past few months, every six hours, day and night, another one of Caesar's personal bodyguards would be strapped to the other end of Paul's prison chain. Can you imagine being physically attached to a missionary as passionate as Paul? Can you imagine being his captive audience of one all day long? Can you imagine how much Paul must have enjoyed all of that? Well, 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 look at this, he must have said to himself. It's a new day and I have a new guard. Let me see. I wonder what we should talk about today. And sure enough, one by one, they heard the gospel so that as Paul himself states, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And this gave Paul a lot of joy. A third thing that brought him joy was that local pastors in Rome were becoming more fearless in their proclamation of the gospel. They began to speak more boldly and confidently so that, as Paul says, in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. See, Paul had reasons for joy. The Philippians' gift of money, the faith of the guards, the preaching of the local pastors. But there was still something more that Paul wanted those Philippians to know and to do in order to make his joy complete. You will make my joy complete, Paul wrote, if I hear that you're living in harmony, if I hear that you're like-minded, that your thoughts are focused on matters of ministry, that you love each other, and that you're one together in spirit and in purpose. You'll make my joy complete if both individually and corporately you are imitating the humble servanthood of Christ. Humble Christian servanthood is what Paul was after. He practiced it in his own ministry. He encouraged it in the Philippians' life together as church. And he would desire to see it in each of us as well. Why? Because humble Christian servanthood is a powerful and authoritative force that is unlike anything else in this whole world. 
It's what sets us apart and makes us different from everyone and everything else. It speaks a language that is easy to understand, difficult to ignore, louder than academic credentials could ever be, and far more compelling than words alone. Humble Christian servanthood is Christian faith and Christian truth and Christian love combined together and put into action. And when it, wherever you find it, you will find life cha lives changed for the better. You will find godly relationships formed and strengthened. You will find a healthy and flourishing church. Humble Christian servanthood not only says the right things in the right way at the right time, it actually does the right things in the right way at the right time. And it does them for the good of those who are its recipients. Paul was a practitioner of humble Christian servanthood. He endured hardship and deprivation. He suffered persecution and prison. And he would gladly and willingly have poured out his life like a drink offering so that his converts to Christianity could shine like stars and continue to will and to act according to God's good purpose. But then when you think about it, Paul was only imitating and recapitulating the model of ministry that he had already received from Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself unto death, even death on a cross. You see, it is the humble servanthood of Christ that makes all Christian faith possible and that serves as the model for all faithful and effective Christian ministry and mission. And now, it is your turn. In her book, Because He Loves, How Christ Transforms Our Daily Life, author Elise Fitzpatrick writes, just in case you're unaware, identity theft occurs when someone steals your name and other personal information for fraudulent use most of us are dismayed by this new cyber age crime and we wouldn't assume that the theft of another person's identity, identity is acceptable behavior. The surprising reality, however, is that Christians are, by definition, people who have someone else's identity. They're called Christians because they've taken the identity of someone else, the Christ. Not only have you been given an identity that you weren't born with or that you didn't earn the right to use, you, but you're invited to empty the checking account and use all the benefits that that identity brings. There is so much better. This is so much better than identity theft, she says. 
It's an identity gift. A gift, my brothers and sisters, that expects and empowers a life of humble Christian servanthood from all who have received it and wherein God works in each of us to will and to act according to his good purpose. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We stand for prayer.